In episode 82, Stuart recounts his tournament experience at the Riversdale Cup and also has a clubland story, whilst Blakey has just gotten back from Thailand where the International Series Thailand was held at Blank Mountain Golf Club. And so he goes into a few details of rules situations and pace of play. So listen into to your favourite rules of golf podcast, the Golf Rules Questions podcast now. Golf is a test of character before it is a test of skill. And playing by the rules of golf will definitely test your character. Welcome everyone to episode 82 of the Golf Rules Questions podcast. I'm Blakey and alongside me is, of course, Stuart McPhee. Hello, Stuart. Hello, Blakey, and welcome back home. I believe you only just arrived home this morning. My stalking app tells me, is that correct? Yes, that is absolutely correct. Another one of those ones where you suggest we do a podcast after I've just got off the plane and have no brain function and need a nap. Plus, I got myself into an exit row. Okay, that's that's all good. Um, But I just could not get any sense of trying to sleep on this thing. My neck and my... My neck was like this and my shoulders were like, you know, my arm was up like that. And then one time I had my, tried to get my knee up. And then do you ever do the sleep? Because you're, you're a plane traveler from way back. Have you ever done the just bend over into a, a staple position? And so your head's almost touching in your knee and hope you sleep that way. Have you ever done that one? Never, but I have done quite a few different body positions, but that's not one of them. I think the key for me when I did all that travel was just you're never going to fall asleep if you're not relaxed. So to me, the important bit was just trying to relax as much as you could, regardless of what position. How many people sit there watching TV and fall asleep? And they're sitting upright and they fall asleep. Yeah, I do that. But then I don't that sleep. when After watching TV, that's like a nap. That's a 15-minute nap. And then I wake up and I'm still... Because it's on the plane, you're dehydrated and groggy, and it's just horrible. Anyway, we didn't get into the GRQ podcast to talk about plane travel, but um, I'm lucky enough to be doing this tour job that I've been working towards for a long time. And uh, as part of the tour job is you tour, and uh, not around my own country at the moment, it's around the world. So I've just gotten back from the International Series Thailand 2023. Uh, Fantastic. Wade Ormsby won. Uh, we can talk about more of that later. Uh, but that was also that was also our first playoff for the International Series. So it took uh, – how many events did I do last year? I did seven. There was Indonesian Masters that I didn't do, so there was eight. We've done Amman, Doha oh, – yeah, Qatar and Thailand. So mm-hmm. – and the uh, Saudi didn't count as the international series. That's okay. just uh, separate uh, Saudi international. Uh, but that means we've done 11 international series and we finally got our first Australian winner and we finally got our first playoff. They played off on the 18th hole. And it was interesting. It was a real match play type scenario. Uh, I said what I was going to talk about later, but I might as well talk about it now. Uh, Wade hit it in the bunker off the tee. The other guy hit it in perfect position. Wade lays up. The other guy, who was a, a local tie boy, um, you know, he had the crowd as well going for him. Uh, he hits it in the greenside bunker. Wade hits it to about 10 foot. And Jaburno hit it to about nine foot or something. And uh, yeah, Wade made the putt and won the playoff. So nice little pay packet. And, and as uh, I read in an article, um, it's sort of a up yours to Ripper for not selecting him for the live golf team. Can I just make a comment about uh, having just done an event myself on the weekend, which we may get to, that also involved a playoff, four hole playoff as it turned out, was that you talked about both being on the green, one was X foot away and the other one was a bit closer. I had one or two situations on the weekend where you saw the players looking at each other, wondering if they could hole out or not. They may have had a tap in, but they've actually marked it thinking, 
maybe a bit of them thought it was match play and they couldn't play out a turn because this tap in was literally just a finish off the hole, but they didn't. And you could see the discussion between them. And I was waiting to be called over to say, guys, forget match play. You're not playing match play. It's still a stroke play event. This is just, you know, a continuation. You're playing stroke play. Order of play really doesn't matter. Um, if you're able to tap it in, tap it in. Anyway. If, I ever, if I ever got into that situation, I'd definitely be tapping it and try and put pressure on that other person. Yeah, but you could see the hesitation. You could yeah. see the uh, – because it's just one-on-one. Yeah. And automatically you think of match play. Yeah, right. You could see the hesitation to tap it in anyway. Um, in, anyway, that is an interesting situation. Yeah, come back to that uh, tournament that you refereed at um, in a second after we do the GRQ OTW81, which was – in which of the following is the player not required to drop their ball or another ball again? When the player drops a ball in the right way in the relief area such that it lands in the general area and then rolls. A, onto the and comes to rest on a putting green when relief was properly taken under rule 17.1 for a ball last crossing the edge of a red penalty area near the putting green. So they've dropped in the general area and it's rolled onto a putting green but the putting green was still within the relief within the relief area. area. Yep. Uh, B into and comes in comes to rest in a portion of the relief area that is in a bunker. So they've dropped in the general area, but it's rolled into a bunker, but again still within the relief area. Uh, C two and comes to rest in a position where there is interference for the player's stance by the cart path from which the relief was initially taken under Rule sixteen point one B. Uh, so it was within that one club length, no nearer the hole, but it was close enough that they were still had their foot on the path for the shot that they took relief for from in the first place. And D, when taking relief under rule 16.3, embedded ball, the player's ball rolls into a position where their stance is on the location where the ball was embedded. What is the answer, Stuart, and why? So the answer is D, but I'll just go through the why. So the first one is the penalty area one where there are certain relief options. Typically, I don't know if there's always typically penalty relief options where you can have more than one area of the course within that relief area. But where the ball first touches the ground, the ball needs to stay in that area of the course. So the first one, it landed in the general area, but actually rolled onto the green. So even though it was still within the relief area, you've got to drop it again because it's actually moved from the general area to the putting green. Same thing with the second one. It's dropped in the general area, rolled into the bunker. Still may well be within the relief area space, but it didn't stay in the general area. And the third one is interference. We haven't taken complete interference from the very situation that you were dropping for. So you need to go again. Um, so it's a process of elimination for me, uh, yeah, for and, those. And then D, obviously it doesn't matter about interference to stance from the pitch mark. So, so D is the answer. Very good. Now, question without notice. If the player has to drop it again, say in the instance of A, can they now drop it onto the putting green? Yes. Have they changed their relief area? No, I think it's still the same relief area. So they're taking, I don't know the exact words, I think it was lateral relief, right, from a red penalty area. So we estimate the point where at last cross, we have a two-club length relief area. It just so happens to be two areas of the course within that relief area. Um, you have dropped correctly, but you need to drop again. Uh, you've dropped cor correctly because the player dropped it from the height and it landed in the penalty, in the relief area. So you've dropped correctly, but it's then moved into another area of the course. Can you then drop on the green? Yes. Have you... If it's in the relief area, sorry. Could you ever have three areas of the course in the relief area? I've never seen anything that's written that you cannot. It just, I think, generally says if there's more than one area of the course within that relief area, um, it needs to come to rest in the area of the course where the ball first touches the ground after the drop. Can you think of a situation where... I'm just trying to physically think about Where, the situation. Can like you have a, a, can, yes, can I you can. Think of, can you, okay, I can, what is it? Yep. 
So we've seen pitches where you have a red line indicating the edge of the penalty area running right through a bunker. And so you get to where that red line leaves the bunker and then goes onto the grass. You would have a pretty small area there where you'd have general area, bunker and penalty area. But the penalty area, if you're, are you taking relief from the penalty area? You could be taking an unplayable. Could be taking relief for anything. Okay. Let's say what taking about, relief for an unplayable. What about four parts of the course? <laughs> oh, jeez. Do you have an answer for this? I'm yeah, just trying to. Oh, you do. do. Okay. I'm just trying to yeah. picture. Well, it's hard to put the teeing area in the putting green in the same sort of yes. relief area. Um, oh, I'm sure you're asking the question, so I've got to go with a yes. I'm sure. I just can't picture it. You're dropping from one penalty area, and you within the relief area. Is the putting green a bunker, another putting a penalty area, and the, and the general area. area? There you go. Um, I just said it could happen. I didn't say I've seen it happen. I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to see the photo of that. I mean, that would be a strange-looking green. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, it, it could possibly happen. If you're taking it back to the last place, the previous place played. How many areas of the course can you drop within? One. And that's going to be the exception to potentially taking penalty relief where you actually, your relief area is confined to one area of the course. Yeah. Under 14.6. Yeah. Sounds good. Now, you've got, uh, do you want to tell us more about your tournament that you refereed at? On the weekend, I can. I'm sure yours is much more exciting being in Thailand. Yeah, well, that's why we leave until uh, last. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm catching. I'm learning every time, every podcast. I'm learning something. The, I'll tell you the quick Clubland story. This is all old material. You've heard this before, but it happened again. Thursday or Friday, I was at a club, and a club you know well. And two guys come in. So you know, my ball was on the fairway near a bunker, fairway bunker. My mate hits his out from the rough hits my ball at rest on the fairway and my ball ends up in the bunker. Now the ball that ends up in the bunker is the ball that was at rest. Right? And it's been moved by the ball that was hit from the rough. And he's come in and goes, Oh, you know, what do I do? So he's in the pro shop. And of course he's asking the pro shop staff as club golfers do, because they pretty good with the rules. Oh. Fortunately. They, well, fortunately. yeah, in their defense, they are the first person that you would talk to at the club about the rules. And so that, Absolutely. really gets back to what we've said before. They should know the rules better than anyone. Absolutely. I was wondering if you'd respond to what I just said. Anyway, so the person behind the counter knew that I was there and said, oh, hang on, I'll, I'll get someone who may know a bit more than me. So I've come out. Well, that's a smart like, decision, isn't it? You know, Agreed. He made I a smart said, decision to pass it on to someone, someone who knows the rules. I said, what did you do? And he said, I played the ball out of the bunker. I said, okay, did you see your ball get hit and move to the bunker? He said, yes. I said, well, you shouldn't have played it from the bunker. Um, and I then said, did you think about playing two balls? So this is really what I'm trying to get at. And why, and I've said this to you over and over again, that I don't understand why rule 20.1C3 is not used more at club level. They didn't know how to proceed. They've sort of tossed a coin, gone with the wrong option, and they could have just gone, look, play the one out of the bunker, put the ball back where it was, put another ball back where it was, nominate, play both, we'll sort it out later, and we could have sorted it out just like that. Um, just a almost a community service message. You know, there's that option, the provision in the rules, if you're unsure, the rules say, yeah, no problem, play two balls, we'll work it out later, there's no penalty, and we'll sort it out. Just another example of it happened within the last few days. So you gave him your two-shot penalty? Well, we st we spoke about that as well. But uh, I, my my key message was the, if you're not sure, do both. And that, was, you, that was the message. And you gave them the two-shot penalty? We, we spoke about that, yes. And they signed for a score that included the two-shot penalty? I have a feeling it may have already been submitted electronically. And so now that... 
I left that to the pro shop staff to sort out. The score itself for a penalty like that can still be. Well, had they left the scoring area? No, they're standing in the pro shop seeking guidance. What's but as score? you know, using electronic form of scoring, you can be one meter off the 18th green and have lodged your scorecard. Submitted, sorry. Is that what the committee procedures at Gardner's Run say? Well, it's not at Gardner's Run. It's at another club you know better. Um, but I'm just saying that's what happens now with the electronic form of scoring. Whereas you'll have four people in a group, two have already submitted their scorecard electronically. The other two are still telling up the scores and disagreeing and trying to going back, you know, hole by hole to try to work it out. And it's not till 15 minutes later that they actually submit their scorecard once they put the clubs in the bag. Sorry, the clubs back in the car. This is a good point. Because I don't don't think we had it sorted at Spring Valley. They'd submit it. Then they'd come to the pro shop after they saw their leaderboard and said, oh, yeah, no, it's wrong. I need to change it. <laughs> and we'd change it. I wouldn't even give two thoughts about it. I just, oh, just can't be bothered sorting it out um, when they only had 25 points. Right, right. So... If that had 45, you might have taken it differently, different abso- approach. Absolutely. But uh, so I'm guilty of that. But it's... it's I don't... We should actually have, a, you know, a when, when is the score submitted where's the scoring area i mean i'm happy to make the whole courts and clubhouse a scoring area yeah um you know, so the event i was Saturday at the weekend yeah the event at the weekend very very clear in the uh terms and conditions local rules was it stipulated that when you have two feet outside the scoring area you've you're done yeah i think that's what we have it on the asian tour when both feet are outside the score recording area and we have the i think we actually have the flash zone inside the score recording area so it sort of gives the scorer just a little bit more time just in case you know they're halfway through their interview oh how was that 65 and then the score recorder goes no it was a 67. (laughs) but at least they haven't left the score area and it still counts and it's like play, playing chess if you moved your queen but you still get your hand on the piece spot on it's like you got one foot out the door one foot in doing the splits so, oh i'm not sure yet oh well, anyway know, much more exciting over the weekend a situation on the weekend but sorry go on i know someone out or you know another tour they actually changed it from both feet because one guy had both feet out but he was leaning still leaning in through the door and then someone was like, oh, you didn't sign it. And, he's like, and they're like, oh, well, he's already got two feet out. But his body's not outside. So I think I think someone changed it to two feet and body and head. 95% of your body. And 100% has to be going outside. Um, you know, there's another one too, that if you leave the scorecard on the table and then you... But then you say, oh, I just need to go and get a pencil. That's okay. And you walk outside the scoring area to get a pencil and come back. That's okay. Because you haven't, you, you've haven't clearly, signed it yet. You've, well, you've clearly, well, that's even worse. But you've clearly said that you haven't left the scoring area. You just, you know, you haven't yep. submitted your card because you've gone yep. to get something. And that's yep. acceptable. Mm. Uh, very good, Stuart. Nice. Nice. Uh, so that was a, that was a clubland one. So the tournament won from the weekend uh, prestigious stroke play amateur event, the Riversdale Cup, which has quite a long history. Um, you'd know Riversdale Golf Club reasonably well, wouldn't you? The course, you seem to know every other course, layout pretty well. Uh, yes, I know. I think I've played pennant there once, maybe played one other time, walked around it for Riversdale Cup a few times. So, yeah, I know it pretty well. Yeah. So I was the a walking referee for one of the last groups and 13th hole, long par five, but it's all downhill and it was downwind. Um, a young guy hits the best drive he's hit all day and he's actually trying to hit the green for two. Um, I actually stepped in and told him not to play because of the group in front were on the green and all those other factors I just mentioned. Uh, the other guys were just off the edge. Um, anyway, so he plays this uh, second shot smokes it hits it clean as anything but it just went left straight away didn't cut didn't draw just went left he pulled the not, shit out of it 
No, he didn't pull it though. He just he just went left straight away and he, he was, hit it. Left. He was he was aiming left. Is that what oh, you're I suspect he, he's absolutely hit it as well as he could have. It just went left as soon as it left the club face, as and it went straight. We're all watching it. There's a few murmurs. There's quite a decent crowd, which was good. Um, and we're all watching it, and a few people go, oh, "I think it's in trouble," because in front of the penalty, in front of the green, is a a stripper penalty area, which then moves out to the left-hand side to a significant area of water and penalty area. And as I'm walking over the crest, because we couldn't see where it hit the ground, we couldn't see, it was all blind. As I'm walking down the left-hand side of the fairway, another player in this event says to me, words to the effect of, now, if nobody saw that going to the hazard, then that ball is lost, right? He says to me. I didn't realise until afterwards that the player who just hit and the person who just asked me that question are neck and neck. It's a two-horse race for these two to win the event. This is not the main men's, uh, this is an all-abilities group. And I didn't realise when he said that to me, but he said, oh, look, if no one saw it going, it's, it's lost, right? And I said, that's not quite right. I said, we have a standard we use called don't or virtually certain, and we don't have to be 100% sure, but we need to be really, you know, there has to be very, very little doubt. He seemed not happy with that, but left me alone because I just kept walking and he's then gone to play his shot onto the green. He's, we're still both 100 metres short of the penalty area. Something that I've learned from more experienced referees is now, because I'm allocated to this group, I actually started to ask people about what they saw. So there were two spotters there, you know, with their fluoro clearly identifiable, and there were quite a few spectators. And I actually started to ask the question, you know, who saw that? Where did it go? What was the line? And a few people go, yeah, it went left. See that person sitting down there? It went straight over their head. I was able to just gather this information to the point that when we got down there and seeing the terrain, and it was all very, very closely mown, rock hard ground, even if it had landed short of the penalty area, nothing was going to stop it. There were no bushes, no trees, just short grass, hard concrete ground all the way up to the red line. There was no doubt in the world where that ball was. However, there was half a percent of doubt because nobody saw it go in, right? But of course, as I said, we have this standard. So I was more than happy. In fact, the player went to the other side of the penalty area to look just around the green, just in case it had carried there. That wasn't the line, but at least he had a bit of a look. And we looked for a little bit, came back. I took him through his options. He dropped. I said, that's in play. Walked around to the green to where this player, who had just previously asked that question, called me over to the green. I thought, okay, some relief procedure he needs. So I walked over and he then actually started to become quite aggressive and said to me, hey, I just asked that referee in the group ahead and he agreed that if nobody saw it go into the hazard, then it's a lost ball. So I then had to very calmly and as professionally as I could explain to him again that the standard we use is called knowledge or virtual certainty. We don't have to be 100% certain. We just have to have very, very little doubt of where that, that ball is. He wasn't happy with that. He mentioned the referee again. He, You could just tell he wasn't happy. He was raising his voice, very aggressive. Um, and I actually used the, the words, I'm very comfortable with that decision I just made about giving him relief from that penalty area. And I was, and I still am. And um, I, at the end, I think to, not deliberately to shut him up, but it ended up shutting. I actually said to him, you tell me where else that ball could be. And I think that's a standard we can use, right? If there are bushes, if there's somewhere that ball can be, then we're not at 99%. We can very easily drop below 95%. Then we have an issue, right? But when I said to him, you tell me where else that ball could be, he didn't say anything. So I think that was probably enough to convince him that we probably made the right call, even if he's not happy with it. Unfortunately for him, the guy who dropped the three, played on for four, then made a really long putt to actually par the hole which no doubt incensed the other player even more. Um, I then had to talk him through a relief procedure from a sprinkler head right next to the green. It was buried you know, below the surface of the ground in a sprinkler head. Um, that took minutes because we had to do the drop, drop, place, place, 14.2E. So it took minutes to find. Here I am this close to him, having just had quite an awkward conversation with him and him being very aggressive. And here I am having to remain pretty calm and talking through you know, finding that nearest spot where it actually would come to rest because he would have placed it down 20 times and it kept just rolling away. So that was a bit awkward as well. But um, another player, the third player in the group, down the 16th, he called me over, says, I think he's going to have a go at you again. He's still not happy about it. 
And I've since found out that he's lodged a formal complaint about that ruling. But having said that, he was the marker for that player and signed the scorecard at the end of the round. So there mm. you know, there's that story. You've now lost your job. Oh, they told you. Yeah, I wasn't going to broadcast that on the podcast, but... I mean, the ball could have easily hit the hard concrete and bounced 150 metres onto the 15th tee. Uh, anyone could see that that could have happened. Hard concrete? Yeah. Or the hard ground? The hard ground. You said it was hard ground as hard as concrete. Yeah, it was pretty hard ground, but the water's a pretty big area too. Yeah, it's bounced 150 metres onto the next tee. That was a joke for everyone. I mean, I reckon it's flown in. You hit it that well. Oh. Yeah, that was a joke. I reckon probably flew in. You hit it that well. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, no, it sounds, I know that area well. Um, yeah, I, I've seen it happen too. It just races down there. Even if it hits the fairway, it can race down there into the, uh, and, you know, in early March conditions, it's quite hard and, and fast. I mean, the course was immaculate. The fairways were unbelievable, like you're walking on really nice carpet. But off, yeah, it was pretty firm ground, and that particular area was pretty rock hard. But, you know, I think we need to talk – in the rules, we have this standard, and it's not known or certain. It's pretty certain. You know, it's virtually certain, and we do have that room to have that tiniest bit of doubt. And sure enough, we did have the tiniest bit of doubt, but it wasn't enough. So one thing that I um, heard you say is there were two spotters there. Does this go back to our case of spotters can't spot? Maybe. I mean, they were the first two people I asked. I mean, I had a walking scorer with him. I asked him. He's a member. He's been there 50-plus years. He said, yeah, that's probably pretty wet. Before he even crested and had a look at the area, um, he knew straight away where it had gone. Um, I then went straight to the spotters who were clearly identifiable with their fluorescent tops. Did they, you know, did you see where it went? He said, oh, we didn't see it land, but it was definitely on that line over that guy's head, which, of course, was straight into the water. Um, so whilst I didn't see where it entered the penalty area, um, everybody, and I, was, I would have sp spoken to more than 10 people, without exaggeration, individual conversations, because I really wanted to be sure. But I mean, I was sure enough. But Because I just wanted someone to go, oh, yeah, no, I definitely saw it, and it definitely went in the water. Because so that would made me feel just that little bit better. Sorry. The spot, the spotters weren't even down at the area. No, they were at the top of the hill. Well, how good, how Where good this other they? guy was. How good was that? How oh, useful are they? Well, penalty area is probably only 100 metres away from them. They just weren't down there at that low point at the penalty area. They were at the at the high spot. Spotters, eh? Spotters. It was interesting, you know, probably the second most aggressive a player has ever been to me. And I think what's important for referees is clearly we need to be comfortable with the facts and the, the rules and our decision, but it's also just remaining pretty calm. You know, players can be under enormous stress and certainly more than us, and they can be struggling as he was. He had an overnight lead of about five strokes and then had gone to nothing. So he's under that pressure and stress and, um, there was an incident on the 10th hole where I actually had to give um, the other player, not the person who got upset with me with the ruling, but the person who took the drop, who hit the ball into the penalty area. I had to give him one penalty stroke for lifting his ball just off the green on the 10th hole because it wasn't on the green. And the other guy who was upset on the 13th hole actually called me over to the 10th green. He goes, oh, I don't think he's on the green. And I said, no, you're not on the green. You need to add one penalty stroke to your score because you've lifted your ball when you weren't permitted to do so. Um, anyway, so I think that maybe just proves, you know, I certainly wasn't biased to any player because I'd given him a penalty stroke on the, on the 10th hole. No, that's not what I've been hearing. <laughs> uh, so I had a pretty good day in or week in Thailand. We got finished. This is, this is what I'm there for the most part. It's just pace of play. We got finished on the Thursday, Friday, just. On the Thursday, we, it was like literally just, it was 10 minutes past sunset. Our policy allows the player to stop if they wish um, after sunset, but thankfully they didn't. They decided to play the last hole, which was the par 5 18th. Uh, the second last, the, in the second last group, the player, one of the players in the second last group actually was the leader of the day, shot eight under. Um, and was leading the tournament. Uh, 
and hit shot six under the next day and was leading the tournament by two shots. Funnily, funnily enough, he bombed out on um, Saturday. Um, so, but but he was only behind by three shots. So not so he's still in it, still in with a chance. Uh, but then he he just couldn't re- recoup and uh, and didn't finish too highly on the Sunday. But he is our first official EST award winner. So we have this thing on our pace of play policy called the EST and excessive stroke time. If you take more than 90 seconds to play a shot, you are given an EST, which is like a bad time and goes against your record. And then you also, if your group is out of position, they need to start getting timed from that. It was on the 17th hole or the 71st hole of the tournament, but it was more than justified. So I said 90 seconds is the limit. And that's a long time because it's a long first, time. first to play is 50 or uh, second to play is 40. If you're taking 90, you've taken almost double. Uh, you have taken more than double second to play. Guess how long this bloke took to, to hit a 40 meter pitch shot on the 17th half. Oh, my guess is two minutes, but I'm going to think it's going to be more than that. Two minutes four, is a long time. Four minutes. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and so I think that he's lucky. I think that he is very lucky that he got an EST and not an undue delay, an unreasonable delay under 5.6. I mean, an unreasonable delay under 5.6, that's where you're just mucking around, pissing around, doing nothing. Uh, is a two-shot penalty. That's incredible. I don't have the words for four minutes. Um, I mean, that's two ESTs plus. It's almost three ESTs. Mm. And he he was in disbelief and appealed it. You've got 30 minutes within finishing a round to appeal. He appealed it, saying that it was a really tough shot. (laughs) Wow, I mean that you know we we've got a product, and it doesn't include players taking four minutes to hit a shot. You know where, where's the entertainment factor in a four minute one shot for four minutes? So what group was he in? Uh, on the Saturday he would have been in group. Oh, when did the four minutes happen? I, I can remember it too. Um, the four minutes group. was on the second last hole, right? The seventy first hole. He was in group 18. I'm assuming there weren't too many other groups on the course when he was playing his 7-8 Uh He was group 18 and our last group was group 26. So there was okay. still another nine groups. Mm, okay. I'm thinking uh, broadcast-wise, you could have been showing a lot of other shots while waiting for this guy. Eight groups. Uh, yes, yes. Um, but, but you think he's just about to hit, <laughs> so you stay with him and he doesn't. Yeah, and also, you know, then he holds up the group behind. Of course. The group holds up the group behind them, the group behind them, the group behind them, and then it all just and ends up being us missing TV time, which is... I mean, I think even a club, club level, one minute feels like a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we give these guys four hours 30 for a three ball, and that should be the maximum time they take. But... It doesn't seem to be the way. It seems to be that they're happy to be out there for five and a half hours. Then they complain to us, oh, why did we take five and a half hours? <laughs> well, that's because you and your group take a minute 20 every shot. So um, anyway, the eventual winner, Wade Ormsby, he's reasonably, he's not slow, he's not super quick, but he's he, he's a good, he's just quicker than medium pace. Now, you'd it's love qu- to know that we're speaking about pace of play, that you were named on the broadcast. 
Oh, well, no. Maybe, hopefully they got my name wrong. Called me something else. David, Daniel Black. Daniel Black just telling a group to hurry up there. It was referee honest. Daniel Black, yes. Oh, fantastic. So I had another, I didn't have another one, but it was interesting because I had this situation last year in a similar spot um, to one of the referees who had it, but then the one that I really saw and was on the broadcast that you saw uh, was a player's ball was right beside a tree root, so much so that they couldn't play towards the green but they could easily chip out to the next hole. They wouldn't have been able to chip out to their own hole too no. easily unless they, unless they played left-handed, but they easily able to chip out to the adjacent hole and then flick a wedge back over. They asked for a ruling and the, the referee comes in, oh, what, what would you like? <laughs> I want free relief from the dangerous animal condition. Now, a dangerous animal condition. We've spoken about this many times on this podcast. I mean, when you only have 24 or 25 rules, um, you know, you're going to recover or cover over um, rules and situations many, many times. But dangerous animal situation, you have to be feared for your life? No, just in this thought process that you are going to be harmed physically by an animal. Now, red ants or fire ants can harm you physically. They bite you, they sting, they cause swelling, pain, whatever. Now, I, I have given a ruling and given a player relief for this situation before, and I'm, I don't, you know, technically you could say it was right, but I don't, now that I look back at it and the the way the referee did it on the weekend, I was more happy with how they did it than the way that I did it. And I'll tell you the reason. I've come up with the shoe test, <laughs> right? So I went back there into that into that same area. It had, you know, the same amount of red ants were there. And I took my shoe off. This was after play. No one was watching. Took my shoe. I actually should have videoed it, but I didn't took my shoe off and I placed it right in that spot where the ball was and no red ants, there might've been about 15, no red ants climbed onto my shoe. Now I went to another area of the course, it was up hole two, just short of the green, there's a tree and amongst these tree roots, I'm not gonna say a nest, but there, were, there might've been a party going on between these red ants. And if you put your hand down, you would almost certainly cover this, like the, the red ants would cover your hand is what I'm saying. So I'm going to say there was a hundred to 200 ants. I took my shoe off and I put my shoe down and within seconds, those red ants had covered my shoe. So obviously I pissed them off by putting my shoe down. Whereas in the other case, it was more, we'll just go about our business. You know, we're just on a conga line through to, you know, coming from our day job back to the nest or whatever. Whereas this one, they were, you know, they were a, a few hundred really drunk Australian guys and they were aggressive. You know what I'm saying? And so they saw this threat of the shoe and immediately swarmed it and decided that they were going to do something about it. Now, I um, had to get my shoe out. I saved my shoe, luckily. There was no there was no joy in that foot. Saved my shoe, luckily. Got the ants off and went on my merry with my, my business. And now I'm telling this story on this podcast. But that is the shoe test. And I would say that that situation where they swarmed the shoe, that was dangerous. And I would have given relief. The other situation where the relief was denied, totally agree with it. There was a couple of fire ants, maybe 15. It wasn't dangerous. They weren't worried about being slightly dis disturbed. And so there was no dangerous animal condition. So 
come up with a shoe test and I'm going to stick by that now. Now, do you know there's no clarification for 16.2? I think there should be. Yeah, the shoe test. Now, the referee told the player that they were loose impediments. So they could have brushed them away. They could have grabbed their towel and carefully not to brush away the sand that was around there, but they could have brushed away the... They, the, player didn't do, the player didn't do anything. Um, they took the referee's decision and said, okay, and chipped out sideways. So they knew. Like, they were just hoping to get a, an unsuspecting referee to just give them a free, a free drop away from this tree route that had clearly stopped them from playing a shot towards the green. I was hanging around because I saw it firsthand. I was hanging around waiting to be the second opinion. Um, if the ref, if the player wasn't happy with the first decision. Uh, and so I, uh, so I saw it, but no, I could easily see that the player was accepting of the decision and they were literally just trying to get away with one. And didn't did end up making four. Did chip out to the other fairway, put their wedge from about eighty to within six, seven feet, and made the putt. Really, I didn't know that. Yep. Oh wow. Yeah, because I was watching it live. Yeah. Oh nice. Uh, yeah, so I think that was I wasn't involved with that one, but I saw it firsthand. Uh, there wasn't too many because I'd sort of do more roving and more um, or not hole roving i'm not stationed in a hole as much anymore i'd sort of look after a nine and and look after a look after the roving of the pace of play i don't actually involve myself in too many rulings uh, anymore uh, but i did have a couple they weren't super exciting one i could hear the squishiness in the ground on this par four, number five, and it was on a bit of a hill. And I, I said, yeah, I can hear that there's water there. I can't see it. So I can't give you relief if I can't see the water. And he said, yeah, but, and then he put his foot near the ball. And even though I couldn't see water, so it didn't matter, um, we could hear it. I said, yeah, but you, you can't press your foot near the ball to show water. It has to be seen before or after you take your stance for the shot. Now, you're not taking your stance near the ball, are you? I didn't say that. Hmm. It was, you just have to take your stance. And I said, no, I, I can hear it, but I can't see it. Sorry, relief denied. He wasn't happy about that. And he said, why hasn't this area been marked as GUR? And I think, oh, well, it's just slightly off the fairway, so it's in the, it's in the rough, so that's why it hasn't been marked. Um, but then I saw him hit the shot, and he knifed it obviously thinking that he didn't want to fat it or whatever, but yeah, I thought he knifed it onto the green. So it wasn't, shouldn't have been too bad. Anyway, the next day, lo and behold, a, a different player hits it in the same spot. And I couldn't believe it. I saw water when he took a stance, I saw water and I was like, and I gave him relief. I didn't want to, because it wasn't much, but it was still enough to be water. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I don't know what he did with his either, but hopefully he got golf karma and he hit it in the <laughs> bunker or something. But um, I think I think that was that was about it. We had there's a lot of water there. Um, the the scoring was minus twenty. Wade Ormsby, the Australian, won on minus twenty. Last year was minus twenty six. This year we kept the tees back a little bit longer. Um, didn't put them up. Uh, on as many up on the weekend and the greens are slightly quicker uh, the fairways were quite wet in the morning so we actually gave preferred lies for Thursday Friday and then of course one player in this third group out marked their ball picked it up their caddy goes what are you doing he puts it mm. back straight back down same spot Comes up to me on the next hole. I pick my ball up. I'm racking my brain trying to work out what he's talking about. And I said, preferred lies. He goes, yeah, but they're not on today. Why are they not on? Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, the committee decided not to have them on on the weekend. Oh, that's rubbish. It's still really wet out here. 
Anyway, what's the what's what's the ruling? And I just stuck my hand up. It was like it was like you're out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one shot penalty um, as long as you played from the same spot. It's funny. All the players, and I have no issue with it. I'm not going to tell them otherwise. All the players mark their ball. They all mark their ball, pick it up before they leave for preferred lies, right? And this is this is what um, does slow them down as well. They love to get the ball in their hand. They love to have it as clean as possible. Oh, I don't want a mud ball. Oh. <laughs> anyway, they love to clean it. They love to put it down in the perfect spot and pick their tee. Is up. that one of our myths that you have to mark your ball before you lift it for taking relief? Yeah, well, you used to. And now they've changed it, so um, it's only been changed for four years. Okay. Uh, so they that that slows them down. If you play preferred lies, it always slows the pro down. But they the reason that they put the tee down, it's actually a good idea. That's good so practice. Yeah. The reason being is that the pro could be with the ball in their hand or their pocket from ninety seconds. They won't put it down until it's their turn to play. They, <laughs> oh, they're so weird. Um, you know, and that's why it slows them down. Then they'll put, they'll put their ball down. After everyone's played, they put their ball down. Then they put their glove on and get their club. It's like, oh, why are you doing? You're slowing this whole game Yeah, that wouldn't down. fly at club level, would it? No, absolutely not. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, I didn't have too many rulings, so I might just have to call this the golf pace of play podcast from now on. Well, if you're going to do more roving, yeah, we'll have to be that. I do. I do like doing the roving, even though the players hate me even more. Because I, all I do is come and say to them, hey, you're out of position. Hey, you're out of position. Hey, guys, want to close the gap. Hey, <laughs> hey, you've just lost a bit of time from the group in front. Right. Hey, come on, guys, you need to hurry up. Ah, it's always slow here. I was like, yeah, well, it will be if you're out of position. <laughs> Anyway, I like it when uh, when there's a fast guy. We haven't got many of them on the tour, but when there's a fast guy that plays with a slow guy, the fast guy will make the slow guy play within the time allowed. I mean, four hours 30 for a three ball is so much time. It's like so much. Like you, and Especially when they're still, not having 85, 90 strokes. Exactly, and yet they still take longer than than four hours 30. It's, it's beyond a joke. Anyway, we're going to try and do something mm -hmm. about it. Um, I mean, I saw the PGA Tour. They came out with something the other day, you know, a statement about how the fact that that's five tournaments in a row where they've finished the second round on Saturday. So, you know, they've got an issue with pace of play. Um, their sort of, their sort of uh, thought process is, well, it's our members... Nah, we'll let them do what they want. You know, they can they have their own TV channel, so they can be on TV as long as as they want. Whereas right. we've only we've only got four hours of coverage. We want to try and yep. get the leaders playing from about hole three, finishing on the eighteenth green, with a bit of wrap up time at the end. Exactly, with a five minute wrap up time on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and a fifteen minute wrap up time on Sunday. If we don't make that TV time, then Stuart McPhee, we're looking at home, sees him tee off on 18 and then coverage goes to the news. Oh, what happened to the yep. golf? Yeah. Is that going to happen every week? I'm not going, I'm going to stop watching this. That was boring. Don't even get to see who won. Mm. I mean, a playoff's different, but you still want to try and get the playoff in, within, the, within the time. i tell you what, we've only, we've only had one playoff, as I said, now that we've opened the floodgates, we'll probably have our next three tournaments. We'll probably be three playoffs. We'll wait and see. At least um, we've got Vietnam and England has been um, released. I know a little bit of the um, schedule for the end of the year, but I'm not going to say it because it could change easily. But uh, at least we'll have a lot more time, uh, daylight, like um, Doha, we only had 11 hours for 132 players. Um, Thailand, we had 12 hours for 156 players. I mean, when we go to England, 
it'll be up near it's up near Newcastle. We'll probably have sixteen hours for one hundred and fifty six <laughs> players. So we'll probably even more luxury. Probably four a.m. till ten a.m. It's probably yeah. It's probably eighteen hours, seventeen, eighteen hours. Anyway, have you got any other stories, Stuart? Uh, no, I think that's it. Uh, oh, stories keep coming in. Yeah, we've, uh, we'll do the miss um, next week. Uh, we'll also get a wrap up from you because you're heading off to Rich River tomorrow. Correct. Yes, for the uh, New South Wales Open this week, which I'm so, very much looking forward to. Uh, yeah, so we'll do the miss and uh, wrap up from the New South Wales Open. Say hello to Robbo for me. And you will do. You have a GRQ OTW 82. I do. GRQ OTW for 82. Marcella plays her second shot on the par five second hole at Wombat Hills. And the ball heads way right towards a boundary fence and appears to land in thick grass. As Marcella is not sure if she will find the ball or even if it'll be in bounds, she correctly announces and drops a provisional ball in the fairway. But before playing it, a homeowner on the other side of the fence relays to some spotters that the original ball has come to rest on the course and is in the thick, tall grass. Not wanting to search for her ball in the long grass, Marcella chooses to complete the hole with the dropped ball. After holding out, Marcella asks a referee on the next tee about her previous hole. Are there any penalty strokes? And what should that referee tell her? Hmm, that's an interesting one. Oh, well, we shall find out the answer next week on episode 83. And for all of those of you watching, don't worry, Stuart does not have a condition. He's just out in the sun recording this podcast. So Stuart, a.k.a. Casper the Friendly Ghost, is not actually that white in real life. No, just so, go to the previous podcast. You'll see my normal skin colour, I think. And enjoy uh, Rich River. And uh, we'll speak to you next week. Okay. Thanks, Blakey. Thank you, everyone, for listening in.